Hello, my name's Debbie Evans. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm a retired state registered nurse and I was a government advisor for the Department of Health for five years. So I know my way a little way around the corridors of Westminster. Now, we were told that the pandemic was the pandemic was in 2020. But is the real pandemic now in 2023? Because we seem to be seeing a pandemic of epic proportion, injuries, disease and excess deaths. And as a past government advisor for the Department of Health, seeing the data that I've seen from our guests today, I would be waving every red flag I could possibly find. And my big question today is going to be the data that you're going to hear today from my guests, Cheryl Granger and Ed Dowd, are facts. These cannot be argued with. They are facts and figures that must not be ignored. So as you're watching this, whichever country you're in, please share this, share this information and please share it with your public officials. For those of you in the UK, if you'd be so kind as to forward this video of what I believe will be vital information to Professor Christopher Whitty, to Dame June Rain, to Dame Jenny Harris, to Professor Valance, please forward this information to them because they knew. Now, if it looks a bit dark and I'm well lit, it's because over here it's the evening and my guest Ed Dowd is over the other side of the world in Hawaii where it's breakfast time. But I really want to challenge people that might be watching when I talk to them about data and I question them every time they input their data into their phones or into their computers. Do you know where that data's going? Do you know what that data means? And most of the answers I get are, oh, well, I don't care where my data goes. And, oh, well, who, who can do anything with my data? Well, who can do things with data? How can this data collectively be read? And today I'm so delighted to be joined by Ed Dowd and Cheryl. And Ed was a former BlackRock portfolio asset manager. He is the number one number one number cruncher. He also published um, an incredible book, a very sobering book, um, Cause Unknown. And he's done some amazing data analysis into excess deaths and injuries. So without further ado, let me welcome Ed to UK Column. Thank you so much for joining us. And, and it's so early in the morning. Ed, welcome. Please give us a little introduction for viewers that may not have caught up with you. Thank you so much for having me on today. Honored to be here. Um, I'm a Wall Street uh, career person. Uh, I started off in fixed income at HSBC, uh, went back to business school, went on to Wall Street at Donaldson, Lufkin, Jenneret into equity research, ended up at BlackRock. So my whole 30-year career has been analyzing numbers and trends, figuring out what's going on in the capital markets and trying to make money for my clients. And part of making money for clients is to identify these trends before everyone else, position yourself to take advantage of it before the herd gets there. So the refrain on Wall Street is be early, be right, and be loud. And that's what I'm doing now with the current data that I'm seeing uh, in the, the health world, the healthcare world of excess deaths, injuries, and disabilities. Thank you so much. And again, Cheryl, my good friend and expert on all things pharmaceutical. Cheryl, thank you so much for agreeing to join us today and welcome. Would you like to give us a, a short introduction for viewers that may not have caught up with you? Thanks, Debbie. Um, hi, Ed. Um, I'm basically uh, somebody who's worked in the pharma industry for a long, long time um, and eventually ended up as a training consultant with my own uh, company, um, training um, people within the industry. And that's why I woke up at the very beginning, um, because the code of practice the industry was working um, alongside was not being adhered to. For example, they can't use the word safe on any medical product. And how often have we heard that word? Um, so, um, oh, and just an aside, many moons ago when I was a medical rep, I actually sold hydroxychloroquine. 
which didn't seem to cause the same side effects that they told us about. So I got lots of little bits of information and um, that made me start looking into the safe and effective side of um, the data that was coming through. And I've been such an admirer of yours and followed you for such a long time. Um, And thank you for all what you're sharing with everybody. And that goes from me as well. I mean, you're an absolute hero, um, really, Ed, an absolute hero for all the work you've done. And on this interview, what we're going to do is I'm going to very much let Cheryl steer us through with you the data. But just before I hand over to Cheryl, I, I just know that many of our viewers will be saying to me, Ed's in Maui, in Hawaii, and we saw the devastation that went on with the wildfires. And um, just as as we would love to know, um, Ed, I would love to know that everybody is resettled and that everybody's got homes, but I understand that's still not the case. Do you have a few words to say about Maui? So Maui's recovering from the fires. The town of Lahaina was burned to the ground, and about 20,000 People have been displaced, and it's going to take a while for uh, housing to develop. And right now, people are staying with friends. People are still in hotels, and it's a tragedy. Uh, The death count, uh, I believe, and what I've heard is around 1,000. It's still officially slightly under 100. And, uh, you know, it was a natural disaster. There were hurricane-type winds. Uh, there, uh, There was down power lines, and a fire started. So... We're not exactly sure how it happened, but it it did seem like an act of God. But what we do know for sure is that uh, in disaster capitalism, the land will try to be stolen from the local Hawaiians because that land is very valuable. It was an old town, looked like a quaint old New England fishing town, or Cape Cod town, if you want to try to figure out what what it looked like. And they're going to try to steal the land and develop it and turn it into hotels. And so we know we know what's got coming. And the focus uh, of the Hawaiians is to protect them, their land and, 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 and to not one by one sell it off to developers. So that's the efforts being, being taken right now. And the problem is they can't move on, back onto the land because it's been deemed unsafe at the moment. So there's a lot of controversy around that. Well, I just would love you to relay to everybody over there that whilst Maui may have dropped from the main news headlines, it certainly hasn't dropped from ours. And our love prayers and thoughts go out to everyone. And thank you very much indeed for that update. So now I'm going to hand across to Cheryl to talk about the data, Ed, that you've discovered, um, because it is quite extraordinary. So Cheryl, it's over to you. Ed, I wonder if you could just share with us why you woke up (laughs) to everything that was going on in in 2020. I know you're used to analysing trends and I know you can recognise fraudulent situations, but what actually um, was your awakening? You know, I'm involved in the world of information gathering before everybody else. So I knew a novel virus was coming from China uh, in early January. I was living living on Maui and I told my friends about it. They, They really kind of ignored me. So I was, I was, and I can admit I was in fear because of what I was seeing coming out of China uh, on Twitter and uh, other places that weren't in the mainstream yet. So I went to Costco and I bought my toilet paper and all my supplies a month before anybody on Maui knew what was going on. Then the uh, all at once, the media decided to gin up the fear and everyone ran to Costco and did what they did. But very quickly, within about a month, um, I started to, to uh, realize something uh, was very, very wrong. Uh, I was, I, it was the lockdowns happened in March here on Maui, and then on April, uh, uh, I think fifth, on Face the Nation, which is a very popular news program, Sunday news program in the U.S. I saw a Federal Reserve President James Bullard. Uh, he's the president of the St. Louis Fed, and he's part of the governing board members of the Federal Reserve. He's on there; they're interviewing him. And they're talking about the pandemic and the economy shut down and how are we going to how we're going to reopen the economy with this horrible, devastating disease around the globe. And he immediately said, oh, well, there's good news. We have surveillance, new surveillance technologies and testing and we could issue immunity badges and people could test daily. And as soon as I heard that, I said, why is a Federal Reserve president speaking on health issues? Why are we talking about? To my mind, Holocaust gold stars came to 
into my into the imagery of my brain, and I thought this was insane. And and, and speaking about surveillance technologies, and I immediately clicked in my head: there's something else going on here. There's something more than meets the eye. The Federal Reserve is weighing in on health, and that's that began my journey of uh, of cynicism and discovery, and then. Just as 2020 unfolded, we saw what they were doing with early treatments, and I discovered quickly that the EUA, Emergency Youth Authorization in the U.S., had a little-known fact that you couldn't issue an emergency vaccine. We all knew vaccines were coming uh, without, uh, if there was already uh, treatments available from you know other, other drug methods that are already on the market. And so that's why there was this suppression, demonization of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and it just became apparent to me that the whole uh, uh, agenda was to get a vaccine, and then I surmised there would be vaccine passports, then a digital ID, and this would link to a CBDC, a central bank digital currency, which is why the Federal Reserve was probably speaking on it on April 5th, 2020. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, so we really have your your vaccine damage report that looks uh, for us the things we're interested in in, in uh, four groups of data. We've got the um, actuary tables the life insurance companies produced, and then we've got the NHS um, sickness um, and absence uh, rates, and then we've got the UK excess um, death rates and then the disability data, the PIP data for the UK to have a quick look at. That basically is showing the excess mortality and this is looking at insurance, uh, life assurance data and obviously in uh, Q3 2021 things started flashing red. So can you take us through what happened in that third quarter and what has kind of gone on to happen since? Sure, absolutely. So let me let me describe what everyone's looking at. This is the Society of Actuaries. It's not it's not the data that we have uh, put forth at Finance Technologies, the firm that is doing a lot of the research that I'm a founding member of. This is just the Society of Actuaries, their own data. And to describe the numbers, a hundred is normal baseline expect expectations of claims. Uh, so. In, in the third quarter, you see uh, the red, the most red box is 200. So that's 100% excess mortality for that age cohort, 35 to 44. And this is a survey of the insurance industry that captures about 80% of the revenues of a very specific segment of the insurance industry called Group Life. And Group Life is a business that's offered to Fortune 500 companies, the employees of Fortune 500 companies, and also mid-sized companies. And it's it's not underwritten, meaning you don't need to go see a doctor and they, have to, they don't have to prod and poke you to figure out what's going on. It's, it's, a, it's a free benefit offered. And should you die while working at this corporation, your family would receive uh, one or two extra base salary. And it's this has just been a standard benefit that's been offered in corporate America for eons. And it's a great business for insurance companies because what they've discovered and what we know now is that this is one of the most healthiest cohorts in the U.S. These are people between the ages of 25 and 64. They have access to the best health care because the health care plans at corporate America are quite good. Uh, they are, by the very nature uh, of being employed, able-bodied, healthy. These are some of the most highly educated people in the U.S., so they, they're, they're health-conscious and health-aware. But yet, this group experienced a crazy amount of excess mortality in 2021. So collectively throughout the year, 25 through 64, saw 40% excess mortality in 2021 uh, above what was expected. Just to put some perspective on those numbers, uh, as said by one of the insurance industry's own CEO, Scott Davison, 10% is a three standard deviation event. 10% above that uh, normal mortality is three standards. So that is a... Uh, black swan event. It's a once in a 200 year flood. Then he said 40% is just off the charts. So back if you, if, you know, back in 2021, they were blaming COVID. But you, if, you, if you really look hard at the data, you, you, you discover something else. Well, we, we discovered post this uh, event in 2021, in 2022, this report came out. It, it, you know, I, I delved into the numbers and discovered that they'd already done studies to prove what we already know, which is that this group is healthier than the average American. And in a typical year, this group dies at one third the uh, mortality rate of the general US population. 
So I just told you 40% excess uh, mortality for this group. For the general U.S. population in 2021, excess mortality was 32%. So the prior relationship flipped on its head, it inverted, and now this group was dying uh, more so than the general U.S. population, which is less healthy. And in particular, I wanted to take your attention to the third quarter of 2021. That is when the mandates in the U.S. hit. Uh, the, the corporate America, led by the investment banks Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, started mandating in August, and then corporate America followed. Then President Biden issued his executive order for any company with over 100 employees. And what you can see is that uh, there was a temporal event. Uh, excess mortality for the age groups uh, 25 through 44, which I called the millennials, uh, was running around uh, 25 to 30 percent. And then mysteriously, it shot up very fast to 80 percent between those two groups. 80 percent excess mortality in, in one quarter suggests there was an event. And I just told you there were mandates and a new novel technology, mRNA vaccines issued all at once. And I believe that that caused that spike. And it came down subsequently to that because I believe the spike occurred because there were a lot of vaccine hesitant millennials, not because they had a problem with the vaccine, they were just lazy and they already knew what we all knew at the time, that COVID really only affected older folks that were at risk. And if you were young and healthy, you didn't really have to bother yourself with getting a vaccine. But when they were then faced with the, um, uh, the, the decision of keep your job or lose your job, many decided to get the jab to keep their job. And that's what happened in the third quarter of 2021. There was a sudden pull forward of deaths. And you know, you roll forward through 2022 and now we're in 2023, where are we in the millennials right now? Uh, the numbers for Q1 excess mortality for millennials 25 to 44 was uh, 13%. Uh, which is good. It's, it's, it's come down from 80%, but then it rose again to 18% in Q2. And my insiders are telling me it's reaccelerating again to 32% as of 2023, this third quarter. So um, unfortunately, 30% excess mortality is still unacceptable. Um, 80% is obviously an event. So th this, these are not our numbers. These are the insurance industry numbers, and they prove that something happened. And my thesis and my team's thesis has always been it's the vaccines. And until we get other explanations, we're standing by that. And that's, that's, that's where we are. The naysayers will, will, tell, will say to me that it was uh, suicides, uh, missed cancer screening appointments, and um, drug overdoses. But again, I told you this is corporate America. tend not to be using uh, heroin and fentanyl. Uh, they tend not to all decide to overdose in the same time period. Suicides. Same thing, you, you, you don't have a suicide pact in corporate America in the third quarter. And cancer screening appointments is, is not a thing. It's definitely not something that goes on. You do not go and get annual cancer screening uh, screenings because they cost money. Insurance companies only pay for them when you present with an illness already. Then they try to figure out what it is. Then they might do some cancer screening tests. So the only, uh, from my standpoint, the only plausible explanation is the vaccines and the mandates. So I believe that there was a German uh, insurance company executive who spoke out and within um, a few moments of saying that um, it was related to the vaccines, then he was got rid of. Um, and has anybody else started working out a reason? Because it's costing them a lot of money, presumably. So I have uh, an insider uh, who, who is a very senior executive at an insurance company, and uh, they tell me that things are starting to change. Josh Sterling, who was one of my earlier partners helping me analyzing the insurance numbers, uh, was a former Wall Street insurance analyst for Sanford Bernstein. So his job was to analyze insurance companies and make stock recommendations to his clients. He started the Coalition to Save Lives, the Insurance Coalition to Save Lives, uh, where they're trying to figure out what's going on. He um, is putting the vaccine issue on the table. So the, the good news is the insurance industry is starting to wake up. And what they're alarmed at in 2023 is that excess mortality, especially amongst younger people, is not dropping back down. And that's becoming a very big concern for the insurance industry because that means all their actuarial tables are wrong, which means when they get around to having to adjust those, they'll take on big 
big losses in different lines of business. They've already taken losses in the group life, but they'll have to take losses in whole life, which is the underwritten business, because that's all predicated on Byzantine insurance accounting that has long-term assumptions. But if you just change a long-term assumption, you have to run the losses through your profit and loss statement. So that's coming, and, and, and they're worried. In the UK, obviously, we have the NHS, but we also have a private medical insurance scheme. And currently, the NHS, I think, is running at around about 8 million on the waiting list. So private insurance companies are going to be seeing, I would imagine, a huge rise in claims either from people that aren't able to access the NHS and in desperation they go private as a choice, um, and also those with vaccine injuries that aren't getting any help or support from the NHS. So I would have thought that the insurance companies surely would be here, especially seeing the rise, would be raising the alarm bell wouldn't they be looking at, well, if these are vaccine injuries, I mean, I don't know if the UK insurance companies are aware of this yet, but if these are the vaccine injuries, shouldn't then they be seeking compensation from the pharmaceutical companies? This just ends up back at the pharmaceutical company's feet, doesn't it? Uh, eventually, I believe the insurance industry will be pitted against the pharmaceutical industry. But at the moment, we have to go back to uh, the fear factor, the cognitive dissonance, and the uh, little unawareness of what was going on with regulatory capture. So a lot of these insurance executives trusted, they mandated their own employees and themselves to take this new novel vaccine. And that is a big barrier of cognitive dissonance to break through. And people don't want to believe that this might have happened. And so there's still this resistance uh, to the facts. And when I was in business school, uh, a professor of mine said something that stuck in my head, and I used it on Wall Street. You can't rationalize facts to someone whose position is based on emotion. And that, I, I saw people lose money hand over fist on Wall Street because their ego and their emotion was involved, even though the facts were changing. They couldn't be wrong, so they doubled down, kept buying a stock on its way to zero because of fraud. Same things happening with this. People when this initially came out, uh, were very adamant, very fearful, and they forced it on people if you were a CEO or CFO or general counsel in an insurance company, and they had an emotional fear-based position, and it's very difficult for them to change that position. Just like on Wall Street, ego gets involved. So this is, this is, this is a process. Um, people like us that know what's going on are befuddled, but I'm not because I've seen this phenomenon time and time again on Wall Street. And it's just, it's, a, it, it's, it's sad. And the problem here is you just don't lose money. You can lose your health and your life. So the race for me has been to get, make as many people aware as possible, change your marginal mind. And hopefully at some point we reach critical mass in the US, the UK and Europe and Australia and Canada, where this, uh, where the devastation is raging and the, the, the people themselves start to demand the politicians uh, speak up on this. That, and that's the goal. It's always been the goal because the politicians, the, the hospital systems, the regulatory bodies, and the tech companies are all aligned in keeping this information from getting to everyone. Well, thanks for going through that so well for us. We um, really need to talk about the NHS now, which obviously is a unique thing worldwide. So good that nobody in the world has actually copied us. Um, and we basically, yeah. at the start of all um, the vaccines coming out, it was our, our social care side that was mandated. So they got mandated to be vaccinated to keep their jobs. And that meant that 40,000 left. Um, and we ended up with 165,000 unfilled roles within the social care section, which is um, quite a, a major problem. But many in the NHS, so our NHS employs uh, 1.8 million people. Um, and they, many of them were vaccinated first. Um, one of the um, doctors who is part of the um, VITT um, lawsuit that's going um, forward, um, he was one of the first, I would have thought, from um, the time of his death um, to actually receive the vaccination. So there were a lot of um, people within the NHS who took 
um, the vaccination right from the start, um, although it was never mandated and we actually protested against the 100,000 who didn't want to take it, who were being forced to take it, and we actually stopped it being mandated by all our protests. Um, first time I protested in my life, but there I was on the <laughs> uh, in the middle of London <laughs> with a lot of other um never got reported of course in the uh, by the bbc and everybody else but um having said that they weren't mandated but they took the vaccination in the main um so we've got um some information on the nhs and the number of people who are sick within the organization the ones who are taking sick leave I wonder if you could um, talk to us a little bit about this NHS absence rates that we're seeing. Um, and you called it a, a black swan event. We talked in the previous segment with the insurance company's excess deaths. Now we're talking uh, sicknesses, which are, we, at Finance Technologies, we have three categories, excess deaths, uh, disabilities, and injuries. And the injuries are manifesting as chronic illness and sickness. And what's interesting about the NHS data, and I, th I believe it's the biggest employer in the UK, and the data I'm about to talk about is basically almost the same data that we got from the population at the ONS in the U UK on absence and sickness rates, and the same in the uh, US, absence and, 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 and work time loss rates. The numbers are eerily the, the same. The standard deviations are very similar as well. And just to give you an idea, this is long-term data going way back. So there's a trend that we can uh, observe deviations from norm. So we have good long-term data, and the data was very steady. You know, sickness rates were not changing much over the years. Then uh, beginning in uh, 2020, obviously there was a, the lockdown and, and COVID was, was there. Uh, it just took off. And you can see that... Uh, absence rates accelerated each year since COVID with new novel miracle vaccines, which this, if, if the vaccines were working, this should be going the other way. And it's been going up. And you can see that, uh, and we're going to get the 2023 data for the NHS in 2024, because it's only annualized data. So we don't have granular monthly data. So what's great about, about this is it shows that, uh, well, it's not great. It's sad and tragic is that um, each year uh, it's gotten worse and worse. And we can look at standard deviations from norm. And I, you know, if your audience is not familiar with the standard deviation, it's just a probability of, of events occurring from, a, from an average or a norm, normal. Well, in 2020, we saw a 4.8 standard deviation event. And the case could be made, well, that makes sense. We had a global pandemic lockdowns uh, and a new novel virus floating around. And, uh, and then, then it shot up to, in 2021 to 8.5 standard deviations, which is already a black swan event, then accelerated to 14.7 standard deviations in 2022. And just to give your, audi your audience an idea what a standard deviation is, a 3.8 standard deviation event is the probability of lightning hitting you at least once in your lifetime. And a 5 standard deviation event is the probability of... Um, your family giving birth to a seven uh, foot uh, giant uh, and the 10 standard deviation event is uh, giving birth to a uh, 10 and a half or yeah, eight and a half foot giant. So these are not normal events. These are very rare, but these standard deviations that I'm showing you, uh, what, what it says is that this is not supposed to be happening. And the fact that it is, it's a black swan event, meaning it's, it's just not uh, normal. And the only thing that you can point to is what changed. Is it is it is it global warming? Is it uh, yeah something got into the water in the UK, or is it perhaps a new mandated novel technology mRNA vaccine that the, most of the population had to take, especially the NH, NHS employees had to take it? And here we are. And the the same data, like I was saying earlier, occurs in the US. We have a 12 standard deviation absence rate in the U.S. Uh, on sickness for the whole pop working population. Uh, that is a black swan event. And then the U.K. ONS data is about 12 as well. So this, this, is a, this is tragic, 
and and I'm sure, as you're well aware, the wait times at the NHS are off the charts. We're seeing wait times to get appointments in the U.S. So this is affecting the quality of healthcare. Forget about the the you know the the poor people that have died in the NHS system. These people are are walking around chronically sick. They're getting COVID over and over again. They're getting other uh, strange illnesses and. The other thing you need to know is when someone is presenting as ill and chronically sick, you're not working at 100%. So if you are there and you manage to drag yourself into work, you're at 75% of capacity or 50%. You're not you're not operating on full steam. So this is reverberating in terms of uh, the quality of healthcare that people are getting right now. And I presume it reflects in everywhere else that you find workers, because obviously um, they who have taken the vaccines have been affected as well. Um, a friend of mine is having some building work done. Um, one of the roofers had a stroke, so he can't go on a roof anymore. Um, he's not very well. Um, and this happens in every industry. It's just that obviously with the UK um, NHS being so large, it gives a good representation of a, a big section of the, of the population. I mean, the standard deviation bit, um, you've said yourself, haven't you, by the time it gets to three standard deviations, um, you actually are seeing big signals. And those are what we're seeing in all the um, side effect details that are being fed back to all our agencies that are not actually recognising any of those signals. Um, compared with vaccinations over the last 30 years, um, the signals that they've been getting since 2021 have been off the charts so much more than the total of all the previous years added together. Um, so signals are not being recognised. Um, all the signals that you're pointing out, which are more than just the, the three standard deviations, as you say, they've gone off the charts and yet they're still not being picked up, um, which is very frustrating, especially to the people who are trying to do something about any injury that they may have. So if we could just start looking at excess deaths, not happy topics these, are they? Your book, The Cause Unknown, which I went out and got a copy and it's it's... Um, interesting, but it's very sad because it's such um, young people. And this is bearing out what you've actually shown us so far. Um, and this chart actually um, gives the different age groups. And I wonder if you could um, walk us um, through this. This is just excess deaths for the whole of the UK. So on our website, financetechnologies.com, spelled with the PH, all of our research is available. You can go to find these charts yourself. You can put in different age groups. Um, it's very interactive. We're now doing the 2023 data update for the UK. And what I want everyone to really focus on is the 15 through 44 category, because these, this is an age group that's not supposed to die. And it's not supposed to uh, die excessively. And you can see what uh, uh, 2020, a little blip up, then 21, it rose. Then it luckily came down in 2022, but in, unfortunately, 2023, it's gone to a new high for this group, around 20% excess deaths for 15 through 44 in the UK. And that's alarming because we're now three years post-COVID, uh, and, uh, and I believe it's the vaccines causing this. And, and, and vaccine uptake, thankfully, and I know in the U.S. it's, it's abysmal, so the booster shots are not uh, being met with a lot of uh, fanfare from from the population, but it su does suggest that there's some medium-term effects. And again, remember, there are no long-term studies for these vaccines, so they have no idea what it's doing uh, uh, medium-term to long-term. And I'm fearful that th this uh, acceleration of excess deaths, especially in 15 to 44, is indicating that there's some medium-term effects now arising, meaning you didn't, if, the, if the jab didn't kill you um, immediately, it's now having effects you know, two, three years down the road. And this is this is devastating. And uh, it needs to be investigated. It needs to be stopped at, at a bare minimum. And again, these signals that I'm seeing, um, you know, the, the, the authorities in the UK see these signals. The authorities in the US see these signals. The authorities in Europe see these signals. This is this is not rocket science. This is this is simple math and 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 they're not talking about this. And at the beginning of the show, it was mentioned is there, you know, we had a pandemic, but I believe there's actually a pandemic going on now that's worse than 2020. And unless we, as a globe, uh, and we, some adults enter the room 
it's going to continue. Many people don't know what we know, and they're not treating uh, their vaccine injury. And I do believe there's a lot of hope coming our way that you can detoxify the spike protein. But until there's global awareness, this, this excess death, disability, and injury will continue. We're going to, on UK column, um, be um, sharing the um, Pfizer and Moderna document analysis reports, and we're going to link that into a control group that allows people to to share their health data. And on top of that, we're going to be linking into um, the treatments that people are suggesting. And I know the wellness company are going to start selling out of the UK. So, that you know, the, there are some things that people can do and hopefully we'll make them aware of that. Um, but in the meantime, the other thing from that excess death grass is that there were some um, 1 to 14-year-olds that were showing. Yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about that. It's frightening. I'm glad you brought that up because that was in my book. This is one of the smoking guns that we believe shows the vaccine causes excess death, you know, full stop. And you see in the fifth, uh, 1 through 14, excess deaths went down in 2020 and 2021. And I believe it's, yeah, 2020 and 2021. The reason that happened is because of lockdowns. And the, the leading cause of death for one through 14 is accidental. So with mo- less activity, less moving around, it was a net benefit to that group. Not less people died through accidental death because of school closures and just, just not a lot of activity. Then the vaccine was rolled out in 2021, and I know this is hard to see because it's an, it's an annual bar chart, but if you looked at the monthly bar chart, you could see that excess death was going down, down, down. Then vaccines were introduced in 2021 in November for children this age, and then it started to basically reverse the trend and go back up. It's not on this graph, but another chart, it's in my book. So it started. It was still negative excess death, but it, but the slope of the line started to go positive. Well, then it's it, we went positive in 2021, and then in 2022, here we are, unfortunately, with excess deaths of young people one through 14, which should not be occurring, and it is, and it's the vaccine, in my humble opinion. Health workers are actually seeing this. They're seeing children come in with heart attacks. And it's, you know, unknown. Um, it's a very strange situation that these things aren't being reported and actually acted on, or at least making some links. Um, uh, one of the people that I follow is David Dixon, who um, is a Canadian, I believe, who looks at data like yourself. And he actually said in week 45, which is the 6th of November, um, that already the UK excess deaths in 2023, so that's after 45 weeks, was 71,562. Um, and what he did is he compared that to how many civilians, UK civilians, were killed in the Second World War. So that's obviously from 1939 to 1945. Over those years, there were 67,100 people killed. So that was during the war. Excuse me. And uh, the excess deaths in this year has been 71,562. You know, we have the the same phenomenon in the U.S. And between March of 2021 and February of 2022, myself and Josh Sterling uh, calculated 60,000 excess millennial deaths, 25 through 44 in the U.S. We had the Vietnam War, uh, where 58,000 U.S. Uh, soldiers and civilians were killed, and that happened over 12 years. This happened in one year. So we had the millennials, the 25 through 44-year-olds, had a Vietnam War uh, in 2021, and it continues. And so the, the, the death toll continues to rack up. It's now obviously larger than the Vietnam War, but in that short one-year period, we were slightly more than the Vietnam War. And this is, this is tragic. So if we just move on to one um, particular area of these excess deaths, um, the turbo cancers, question mark. So we're talking about without specification of site for the cancer. So we're talking about um, a group of people um, who are 15 to 44 who are having cancers that they wouldn't normally have, who are presenting when they're grade three, grade four, um, they're metastasizing all over the place, which is why, which is why it says without specification of site. They don't usually get these cancers in this age group. 
So what can you tell us about this particular chart that we need to have pointed right. out to us? Right. So we did, we've done two uh, deep dives into cardiovascular deaths and, and, and cancer excess deaths in the age group 15 to 44 in the UK. And uh, we found signals in cardiovascular deaths, excess deaths, and cancers. This particular chart drills down into a specific kind of cancer. Uh, there's been a lot of talk of a tur- what, what, turbo cancers, cancers that appear out of nowhere and happen so quickly that you, you, you discover you have cancer and you're dead in a month, especially younger people uh, experiencing this. So it's, it's, it, it's cancer. Turbo cancer is just a term to describe the speed of the cancer. It's not a new cancer. I want to make that clear because a lot of people are confused, but it's just the speed of the cancer. And when we drill down the different cancer, you know, specifications, different cancer causes, there's something called without specification of site, which means they couldn't determine where it came from. It's already spread. And this has been alarmingly increasing since 2021 and 2022 for this age group. You can see the long-term chart. It's, it, was, it was noise, up and down, up and down, up and down. And then in 2020, uh, there was no signal. There was, there was no signal. COVID wasn't causing cancers, apparently. Uh, but then in 2021, mysteriously, things shot up dramatically and accelerated into 2022. And the standard deviation here for this particular uh, turbo cancer is, well, again, we say we, we put a question mark because we're not doctors, and maybe this is just showing that what they're seeing on the ground is happening mathematically. So that 2021 was a three standard deviation event, again, black swan, uh, and, and then it rose to six standard deviations in 2022. So there's definitely signals here. They're, they're obvious and it needs to be investigated. But again, there seems to be silence from the authorities, the media uh, and the politicians. And can I just ask, UK data, is it easier to get hold of? Do we produce data that is easier to analyse or why have you done quite a lot on our UK data? It was easier to get initially and format, and we're working on the CDC data, and that's going to come in probably 2023. Um, your data seems to be better. So that, that, that's all I can say about that. Okay. Now, it's just nice that you're looking after us and actually feeding back to us what we should know. Um, so the, um, PIP, the PIP data um, is basically the... Um, data that um, looks at disability. So it's personal um, independent payments. So it's our UK disability um, claims. Um, And um, this particular graph is obviously showing the the total in terms of UK PIP clearance numbers. Debbie might want to have a quick word because she's actually helped a lot of people fill in um, their PIP um, applications, which are not easy. Absolutely right, Cheryl. And yes, I I would like to jump in, especially on uh, personal independence payment, because people that aren't watching in the UK, this was this was a a benefit that was paid by the government originally called disability living allowance. They changed it into another scheme of personal independence payment. Now, this is not means tested. So if you could be earning a million pounds a year and still be able to claim personal independence payment. I've noticed that even on the government page, they have actually said there's been a 3% increase. However, what I do want to explain is the customer journey to get PIP, because what concerns me is obviously the data that we're about to see, which I know you're going to take us through, Cheryl. But I know myself from running a one-woman pro bono charity for families um, that are living on the autism spectrum, that for every claim that you put in, one will be refused. This is a grueling path that people have to go on. So the customer journey starts off with registration. So you have to register. Once you've registered, DWP issue you with a form of how your disability affects you. If you do not fill in that form correctly or you don't put enough detail in it, you will fail at the first hurdle. So I just want people to understand that just because people apply for personal independence payment doesn't mean to say that they will get it. The maximum personal independence payment payment uh, for someone that's on a high award 
is £737.40 pence a month for four weeks. That's over a four-week period. The minimum amount of personal independence payment uh, given on low award is £114.80 for four weeks. And when I looked up the most common um, conditions that people receive personal independence payment for, um, a few alarm bells were ringing in my head because of a conversation that Cheryl and I had before about Ed's data, which I'm sure he'll come on to now. But the most common recorded disabled conditions in the UK for PIP claims are psychiatric disorders make up 38%, musculoskeletal 20%, neurological 13%, um, respiratory 4%, cardiovascular 3%, and endocrine 2%. So those are the um, those are the a picture of the conditions. But after someone has sent back a form, that still doesn't mean to say they're going to receive PIP. They then uh, either get progressed or they get dismissed. And then it will that it will mean that they have to have a face-to-face -face interview by a DWP assessor, often from a company that many in the UK will know, Capita, but that's a whole new presentation of its own. Um, and then DWP makes the decision. So it's a long enduring process that can take up to 20, 26 weeks, depending on backlog. So the data that you're about to hear are people that are, have actually been successful in claiming PIP. Please bear in mind that there are many people claiming but are not being progressed and aren't being awarded personal independence payments. So that's just a, a little overview on PIP in the UK. And I'll hand back to you, Cheryl, to go through the actual data. Thanks, Debbie. I mean, so really, there's probably a lot more people who want to apply for PIP that don't because they don't have the um, understanding of how to do it and they are ill, <laughs> which means that you don't want to fill in long, enduring processes to, to get some help. Um, so, Ed, um, these are our disability um, graphs, really, and I think they link into your US graphs as well in terms of the uh, rise in disability. But if you could walk us through the UK ones first, again, we'd be very grateful. The PIP system was described very well. Just a, a slight note, these are all claims, whether they're um, awarded or not. Uh, the ratio has been relatively consistent. It's about 40% awarded, 60% rejected. That's not changed over any of the long-term data. So the ratio holds, but we're looking at all new claims. I just want to make that clear, but it, it doesn't matter. It shows alarming deviation from norm over, over the, uh, since 2016. And the, the, just to give you an idea of the numbers, new claim, excess claims, that's what we're looking at above the, you know, the trend line. In the UK, in 2020, there was a 3% rise in, in, in new excess claims, whether they were rejected or accepted. And then in 2021, that rose to 20.5%. And then in 2022, 77%. And it's accelerating. And uh, it, it's in all sorts of, of areas, uh, psychological, neurological, uh, musculoskeletal, um, and it's the endocrine system. It's 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 alarming. And if these trends continue, I suspect it'll bankrupt the system uh, eventually. So the UK government should probably tap us, and we could consult with them to help them uh, figure out what's going on. But I don't think they're going to reach out to us. Uh, this this is a um, this is obviously being seen anecdotally by general practitioners around uh, the globe. But these are hard. Uh, your population-based numbers that we think give an indication as to what's going on. Uh, and the standard deviations in a lot of these different uh, body systems are just off the charts. I, 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 you know, there's so many, so many black swan events. It's, it's, uh, they're almost in every category. I think the hematological um, uh, problems are actually the biggest increase from what I saw of um, yeah, another chart. 500% increase in 2022 above norm. Standard deviation was 25 on a monthly, if you looked at monthly data and, you know, uh, 60 on an annual basis, 60 standard deviations. So th th this is just, there's, it's just crazy. Yeah. 
And I mean, you start thinking, well, why aren't cardiovascular ones um, there? And, you know, in terms of the, the same sort of increase. But of course, if you're having strokes and, and um, heart attacks, you're probably not putting in a claim because you might not be here anymore. Um, so obviously right. it gives you an idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I worked that one out. <laughs> so you basically um, have got a list of all the different um, body systems and how they have um, got excess um, over what happened um, in the 2016-2019 average. Um, yeah, it's it's shocking. I mean, the government here seems to be trying to analyse how they can get people back to work. <laughs> but these people are not okay. capable of working. You know, that's the problem, isn't it? That's why we've got so that's many people. Problem. Yeah. And what's the um, disability levels like in the States? Well, again, the, the UK data here is very granular. We appreciate it. Uh, in the US, we're looking at uh, US Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it's a survey that through statistical uh, uh, calculations, population-level disability. So it's monthly data. It's real-time. It's a survey. So it's not tied to a doctor's note or a claim. It's just someone self-identifying as not being able to work. Well, that number in the U.S. on a population basis was running around 29 to 30 million for the prior four to five years to COVID. And it actually dipped a little bit in, uh, during COVID, but then in starting in February of 2021, took off, and in a short 18-month period rose an additional 3.2 million. So it went from around 30 million to 33.2 million by September of 2022. The rate of change, again, we're you know, uh, Wall Street guys, the rate of change uh, the growth rate was a three standard deviation event. So that's what we call a trend change. It went up, hit a high in September 2022. And the good news was it was kind of going uh, sideways uh, until June of this year. Then unfortunately, we had another uh, breakout in disability and we shot up another million or so in disabled Americans. And it's kind of, it's, it's held steady there. And so now we're at 34.2 million. So 4.2 million disabled Americans, uh, you know, a, a, over a 10% increase. And when you look at the numbers and break them down, half of those newly disabled people are employed, which makes no sense because the employed are the, are the healthiest amongst us. So again, that all leads back to the vaccine. All roads lead back in my mind to the vaccine if you use simple logic and deductive reasoning. Uh, the pop, the, those who are employed had to get the vaccine. So they seem to be the most affected, unfortunately. Ed, you, you've really summed it up because we've been saying all along, you know, vaccine injuries and vaccine deaths need to be investigated. And the very fact that nobody wants to talk about it, nobody wants to investigate it, just, I mean, really, you would you would say to all the scientists and the experts, wouldn't you, just eliminate it and then you can close us all down and then we don't have to speculate anymore, but nobody wants to talk about it. One thing that I did want to say was that in our personal independence payment scheme, we also have another category called special rules. And special rules are for people that um, have a life expectancy of under 12 months. And we've just seen the slide clearly that Cheryl showed of yours with regards to turbo cancer. Do you have any separate data or does it all get lumped in together? Do you know how many people specifically were awarded PIP under the special rules, which meant that they were going to die within a, a fairly short period of time? No, we do not. But that might be an interesting thing to analyze. So uh, that's something that we could look at if, if, if the category is available and the, and the data is available. That, that would be great because, of course, PIP, and, and I know Cheryl's going to come on and talk about this probably in a minute, but PIP won't cover sudden death. And as you've said, you know, we've seen so many. Uh, as a nurse, I've never seen a child have a heart attack, in all honesty, in my whole career. I know some nurses have seen very rare occasions, but this is not something that's common. You do not see this, youngsters dropping down. So, the PIP data obviously isn't going to cover the sudden deaths. I mean, we've been hearing about airline pilots. We've been hearing about accidents, people driving. We've been seeing young athletes keeling over. So obviously that data won't reflect the sudden deaths. But um, I, do, I do wonder how many have applied for under special rules. Um, perhaps that is a 
maybe another area you could la- look at that would be great but um i'm just going to let cheryl carry on with a bit more about the data because this is such a, a valuable conversation that we're having yes it is ed thank you very much for your time doing this today um how many um countries have you looked at i mean is there a, a, a comparison with countries that didn't take too many vaccines is that something that is being planned to be done or has been done well we we looked at the data that was available and that my team uh could get you know clean data to look at we did all of euro using eurostat numbers we looked at the uk we looked at ireland ireland unfortunately is only 40 and above there's, there's no young people in the data uh, there's uh, Canada. Uh, we did not look at Canada because Canada has become a third world country at this point. They don't report deaths on a timely fashion. I mean, I kind of joke about it. If you're if, if you're a first world government, one of your jobs is to just count the dead and have good numbers on deaths and births. And if you can't do that, either you're incompetent, third world country, or you're covering something up. So I don't think Canada is a third world country. I think they're covering it up. We also did work on Australia. Um, so we haven't done work on uh, all these other countries. We want to look at Japan. There's a language barrier for us because we don't have a Japanese team member that can uh, 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 translate for us. But we're going to try to do that over time. And But, you know, there, there does seem to be um, excess deaths currently seem to be um, uh, concentrated in the more highly vaccinated nations, with the exception of Sweden, which is an anomaly. People say, oh, Sweden points to the fact that the vaccine works. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a small population. Uh, they didn't have lockdowns. Uh, we're not going to, you know, throw out all our work because one country seems to be doing okay. Have you been censored much at all? Or is it because it's all based on facts you won't be? So I was, uh, when I first started reporting that the millennium, the beginning of 2022, I was fact-checked by Reuters and AP, said that I was lying. Um, you fast forward to now, the, uh, the the mainstream media has said yes, they are dying, but it's due to everything but the vaccine. So that the, the story's changed. Uh, I was kicked off Twitter in June of 2022 for retweeting CDC uh, data with obviously a different narrative and uh, some peer-reviewed uh, journals that didn't uh, support the narrative. So I got kicked off Twitter. Luckily, Elon bought the company, put me back on. Uh, the book that I wrote, Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Death in 21 and 22, is not uh, being promoted anywhere but in the alternative independent media. And um, I have, uh, because I'm not a doctor with a license to take or a lawyer with a bar to take, I've been able to exercise my First Amendment rights in the U.S. And there's been a definite uh, movement to keep me from the mainstream media, uh, media and that makes sense. They can't come after my stream of income because I don't have. I'm, I'm not rely. I'm not relying upon any regulatory authorities to grant me the right to do what I do. So, I think they're just ignoring me at the moment, and we'll see what happens as time marches forward. One thing that I would like to just ask you to relay, because I know you've told uh, people before, but I think it's really important. Your work is absolutely vital, and already we know that as of as of today, anyway, Iceland have banned Moderna full stop, um, and Finland have stopped Moderna being rolled out for young men. Now, I was very interested in Stefan Bansal. I've been uh, doing quite a bit of research on Stefan Bansal at Moderna. Yeah, so in his early days, um, he was running around trying to raise capital. And a lot of people bought his story, uh, but people who had discernment and lots of experience interviewing CEOs and founders of companies, uh, I was told uh, one very uh, big venture capital firm loved the technology, loved what they heard, but that they did not fund the company. And I think long term, they're going to be happy they didn't do that. But that there are there are those of us who have been doing this a long time on Wall Street. And part of it's art and science. And the art part is figuring out if the person across the, the table from you is a truthful person with integrity or a psychopath liar. He was, uh, he was uh, brought before uh, the Senate. And I believe uh, Rand Paul was asking him questions directly. 
about uh, certain studies that had come up uh, regarding the vaccine. And uh, Paul, uh, Senator Paul Rand said, it's interesting you say that you don't know because your chief technology officer said that it is true. It's been great that you're sharing this stuff and long may you continue to produce the evidence um, so that we can build on it and share it over here and away um, abroad as well. So that um, all I can uh, say is thank you very much for what you've um, shared with us today. Well, thank you, the two of you, for what you do. I mean, it, you know, this is a team effort around the globe. It's I'm one, I'm one piece of the puzzle, the frontline doctors, every doctor that spoke up, all the politicians that spoke up. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of people doing good work, and I appreciate what you, you two have done as well. So thank you. Ed, um, I'm echoing everything that Cheryl said, and I, and I want to say thank you to everyone, actually, to you, Ed, because it's early doors where you are, probably haven't even had your breakfast yet, to Cheryl, whose evening it is now, and also to our wonderful producer, Stephanie, who's come in um, especially to record this because of the time difference. And your work is simply phenomenal. And um, I just don't know why. Well, I do know why, sadly, because I agree with you that until we eliminate the COVID-19 vaccines, we will always be looking in that direction. So why every public health official in the UK is not standing up is extremely concerning and I think very evident by the fact that they're not standing up and putting out the alarm bells on this is um, what's to be expected. But it would be remiss of me, Ed, um, and all of our audience would be screaming at the screen if I didn't take this opportunity to ask you as a, a world expert, as a global leader, and as a number one data cruncher, with regards to the economy, what have we got to look forward to? Is it going to be a little recession, a deep recession, or is it going to be something else? So our team also, in addition to vaccine work, our day job is uh, economic analysis and, and money management. And we were project, uh, predicting a recession to appear in the third quarter and fourth quarter of this year. It has been delayed a little bit because the governments of the globe have been spending excessively to keep this uh, economy afloat. But the real economy, the, the average man on the street is not doing well. It's catching up. And we believe 2024 is going to bring some seriously economic concerns. And it's going to manifest very soon. Um, the, the, the key indicator I want to give everybody is don't be in fear. Uh, I think what's coming is going to be very um, bad, but it's not the end of the world. And uh, we're going to get through it. And you just don't want to be in fear. And, there's, you know, in, a lot, in every economic downturn, there's tremendous opportunity. if You can keep your head and wits about you. So if you haven't already done so, um, you know, getting out of financial assets and holding cash and in, in, in short-term government instruments and then taking advantage of the cheap prices when the uh, prices uh, go down, and they will. The U.S. stock market is in the process of putting in a big top. It put in a top in 2022, came down, and then the government came in to save it again, but it's not going to go to a new all-time high, and we think we're going to see uh, financial capital market turmoil, economic turmoil. We already have political turmoil. We already have wars. Uh, so I expect uh, the financial legacy to drop in 2024, unfortunately. Ed, thank you so much. And I would just like to add at this point to our audience that all of Ed's work um, with his team is done pro bono. So they're not funded by anybody. So this is from the goodness of his heart and for humanity. So for that, we're incredibly grateful. So where I'm going to leave it now is I'm going to throw to Cheryl for her last word, and then we're going to go straight to Ed for Ed's last word. And I'd like to thank you both so much. And I'm sure, Ed, hopefully, if you'll agree to come back, there's data coming out all the time. And if you could keep us informed of all your findings, we'd be super grateful. So for a minute, I'll hand across to Cheryl for her last word. Cheryl, thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Debbie and Ed. Um, I'm, I've basically been trying to get hold of the AstraZeneca um, data <laughs> for some time now um, and that's how I got in touch with Amy Kelly and Naomi Wolf with their 
um, Pfizer and Moderna data. Um, and there's so much evidence now from all the work that you're doing with all the, the graphs and the number crunching and from all the feedback that we're getting and the analysis of what um, actually happened when all the clinical trials were done. Um, and um, this is something that um, needs to keep being worked on so that we've got so much evidence that probably leads to fraud, which allows us to um, have a go, <laughs> have a go and uh, challenge. Um, but the main message that Debbie and I are working on is no more. Do not take any more. Whatever happens, do not have any more um, vaccines. Um, there are a lot of mRNA vaccines in the pipeline. There's about 230 plus that are being um, put into clinical trials for cancer and for infectious uh, diseases. And um, the more you have, the more it accumulates, the more problems you will have. So we just want to use all this information to stop people taking them. Thank you. And I'd like to echo what you just said. Don't take any more boosters. We know for a fact that the vaccine doesn't work. So why would you take something that doesn't work? And we also know that there are huge safety concerns. So stop taking the boosters, number one. Number two, um, unfortunately, uh, this is the biggest global scandal of our lifetimes. And we're going to be talking about this historically for the next hundred years. That means once this news comes out, and people realize what's happened to them. A lot of the uh, institutions around the globe will be questioned. There will be a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of change coming. The good news is um, what we saw in COVID and the manifestation of these jabs has been hidden underneath the covers for 50, 60 years. The global financial system is on its last legs. So there's a lot of change coming, the, and, and we don't want those who created this problem to implement the, the solution. So we have to fight what's coming, create our own solutions, stand strong. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I tell everyone is to make uh, networks of people who sh share the same values as you and learn to rely on each other because there's some tough times coming and it's going to be um, challenging. Don't be in fear, but uh, also know that uh, when you have people in the foxhole with you that share your values, it's going to be a lot, a lot easier.